from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Deploy the right professional to the right. These aren't things that we just, you know, dreamed up one night. And do you feel like there are beds for the estimate is maybe 25 people or more coming out of these four camps that are getting shut down? Yes, there are enough beds. He seemed to suggest, like, you're a bit of a Johnny-come-lately. Your thoughts on that statement? Well, first of all, bless his heart. Um... The entire city is waiting with bated breath. Does this feel like a bill you probably can sign, or are there some concerns I'll at this just point? Say, stay tuned. Oh boy, <laughs> I think she's she's tormenting me here. <laughs> I'm going to return the favor. Let's talk about the detention oversight board. Okay. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last week, St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones delivered her first-ever State of the City address and offered a host of proposals for St. Louis. She outlined plans to spend $150 million on the city's north side. She discussed reimagining public safety, and she promised the return of alleyway recycling pickups next month. Now, as any public official could tell you, what sounds great in theory can sometimes end up a mess in execution. The devil is always in the details. And joining us to flesh out some of these ideas and talk about what comes next on a variety of fronts is St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. So, Mayor Jones, welcome. Yes, thank you for having me. So, I want to start with the centerpiece of your speech last week. This was your plans to invest federal uh, American Rescue Plan relief funds into North City. And you've made clear this is so personal for you. Does that raise the stakes for this spending? Yes, absolutely. And I think also this being personal to me as mayor uh, raises the stakes for for my success in this role and and, 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 and this administration. You know, I talked about how um, when my parents, uh, my grandparents bought a home in the 1950s in the Wells Goodfellow neighborhood, and it was the center of our family's universe. We called it the big house, and all of our family celebrations that happened there, our family reunions, my parents got married there in the living room in 1969. Um, and, you know, it was, it was um, we unfortunately lost it in a fire, and there was no generational wealth to, to pass down, you know, through our through our family. And at the time that they moved to that neighborhood, it was a white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and that so, changed. Right. Slowly that changed. Um, and uh, the neighborhood deteriorated. And it is a mere shell of what it used to be when I drive through there because I live near there. So, you know, I know um, what it used to be to me and my family. Yeah, I mean, hearing you describe this, it kind of touched me to my core because it felt like you were describing this vanished time. And, and this wasn't that long ago. No, no, this was not that long ago. I'm only 50 years old. So this was, you know, back in the 70s and 80s that, that these are times that I remember growing up. And I think so many of us have this sense that the problems in North City, we care about them, but it feels so intractable. And this felt like you were saying, like, this is something that, that can be fixed. Yes. It's not too late. It is not too late. Um, and, you know, the problems of North City are also intentional because uh, previous administrations have chosen to abandon North City. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's got to ha- that's got to stop because we cannot expect St. Louis to be the best it can be if over half of it is left to fail. When we look at maps of St. Louis and we see who's living or where our qualified census tracts are, 59 percent of our city 
is a qualified census tract, meaning it's low or, low or moderate, moderate income. Mm-hmm. That also has to stop. Uh, we have to make sure that we're investing in people and not just projects. So since you made this speech, you have unveiled more details of this plan for North City. Give us some of the highlights here. Yeah, so it's it's uh, basically three pillars. We're going to empower, transform, or empower, develop, and transform. Uh, empowering people by uh, uh giving resources where they are. So we're opening SLDC North or an economic empowerment center in Sumner High School. And this uh, is from part of the uh, St. Louis Development Corporation. Yes, part of the St. Louis Development Corporation. Uh, we're going to match people up with thriving wage uh, jobs and, and, and really uh, do some uh, robust work, workforce development initiatives. Uh, we're going to develop, you know, using in, develop incentives, which, not, which aren't all bad, uh, but we want to make sure that the development incentives are used in the right way uh, to uh, transform neighborhoods, uh, get rid of the vacancy, address the vacant buildings, um, and stabilize and, and, and build infill homes where we can, uh, anywhere from low and moderate to affordable to market rate. We have to build a market in North St. Louis in order for it to uh, to come back. And then we're going to uh, transform. We're going to involve people that live in these neighborhoods that have lived here and, and planted roots here for generations in the transformation of their neighborhoods because we want to make sure that development happens with community, not to community. So anytime we talk about development, I feel like the real question is how do we make sure that it benefits everybody, not just the well-connected developers or people who are ready, are kind of doing well and are able to get these kind of contracts or make these projects happen? Yes. So, I mean, you know, anytime that St. Louis 4 goes on our tax revenue, that's an investment in these projects. And so we have told developers that, you know, our 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 uh, criteria is pretty clear um, that if you're going to build market rate housing, you have to include affordable uh, apartments in that in those developments. And we have negotiated that with every deal that we've done since I've been in office. Uh, with the Butler Brothers building, it's 300 some odd apartments. A hundred of those are going to be for affordable. Hmm. Um, uh, the City Foundry Project uh, made a contribution to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund. Uh, the the new facility that's going to have a Target. It's going to have 10% affordable housing. Um, and then also you have to meet the but-for test uh, because that has been one of those things that's been questionable in the last several years. And we've been giving out <laughs> Questionable de- might be a charitable right. way to we've say that. We've been giving out developing incentives like Halloween candy, yeah. you know, so. I mean, these are uh, houses that are already built and we're saying, oh, let's just give them an incentive now that it's done. Exactly. We have to, we have to uh, scrutinize that. Um, and then also they're going to be stronger reporting on clawback provisions. Um, we haven't enforced clawback provisions in, in the past, and they're going to be stronger reporting and clawback v- provisions uh, that if you try to sell your development within the first, you know, five to seven years, for example, then the city gets its money back. Uh, so, And we haven't enforced those in years. And so that'll be a part of everything you're doing in North City. All these new developments you're hoping to encourage, those rules will be in place. And encouraging, and if, the, if it's out of North City as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're hoping this won't just be a sort of trickle-down effect where we see big projects and people might be able to make minimum wage working on them. You want to really elevate entire neighborhoods. Yes, absolutely. And we've done that not only with developers, but with companies that are asking for tax incentives as well. Um, Procter & Gamble, for example, uh, we are in the middle of negotiations with them to have stronger workforce development requirements because they're going to expand and add 100 jobs. So we're partnering with St. Louis Public Schools to make sure that our graduates are ready for those jobs. Same thing with NGA, same thing with 
um, Delhi Star. Uh, they have a, a signed MOU with St. Louis Public Schools to train um, our babies as they're graduating from high school for jobs at Delhi Star, and they start at fifty to sixty-five thousand dollars a year. So this isn't just you know minimum wage. We're we're trying to transform neighborhoods and communities. So you have some big plans here. Um, you also have the Board of Aldermen that is going to have to sign off on on big parts of these. Yes. So Aldermanic President Lewis Reed issued a statement after this State of the City speech, and he seemed to suggest, like, you're a bit of a Johnny-come-lately on these issues. Here's a quote. This is the, the start of his statement. After more than 240 days, I'm glad to hear that the mayor has finally joined myself and other city leaders in her willingness to target ARPA funds in North St. Louis. Although her proposal lacks specifics and dollars, it's good to hear Mayor Jones finally make a verbal commitment to giving the people of North St. Louis the help they so desperately need. From the beginning, this has been a clear priority of the Board of Aldermen. Your thoughts on that statement? Well, first of all, bless his heart. Um, you know, uh, you know, Lewis Reed has been there for over 12 years, uh, and, and North St. Louis has continued to deteriorate under his leadership. So there's that. Uh, but the other part of that that I really want to make sure that people understand is that, you know, with the, the latest, with Board Bill 82, for example, which is the $37 million for corridors in North St. Louis, uh, I worked with Comptroller Green and, and Alderwoman Sharon Tyus to uh, uh put some provisions in that bill to make sure that that money moves faster to North St. Louis. Um, So, you know, it's somewhat easy to talk about an area that you don't live in and you weren't born and raised in. Um, And and I I know nothing but North St. Louis because I've been here all my life. So we also heard from Dennis, who writes on Twitter, what is the status of the transparency portal for that ARPA spending? And Mary, who works for Lewis Reed's office, uh, she tweeted that it was uh, funding for it was put in place last August, $150,000, and says the infrastructure was already set up from the previous previous administration. She says, I'm not sure what the holdup is. Well, um, if they thought that was a transparency portal, they were sadly mistaken. Um, we are working to use the money that we have. And, and let me also say that that money was cut by the Board of Aldermen for us to stand up a a transparency portal. So, you know, it takes money to spend money. um, And we're hopeful that uh, the board will reconsider adding more money for us to uh, stand up these uh, ways to be more transparent. So Um, you were seeking more than $150,000 in order to make this an effective portal. Exactly, exactly. So our our staff are doing the best with what we have. um, And we're in the process of standing up a new portal. So when we talk about these projects being funded through the American Rescue Plan Act funding, um, some of these projects are longer-term projects, and ARPA has a 2026 deadline for these funds to be spent. So for some of these programs, like the College Promise Program and some of these loan funds, how are they going to be funded after 2026. I guess, will they be funded after 2026? So that's a question we have with the administration. You know, I know that they're talking about making sure that the funds are obligated by 2024 and also want to let your readers know that, you know, we have programmed or encumbered at least $80 million of the first tranche uh, of funds. Uh, So this sort of notion that we've only spent 2% is, you know, is objectively false. Um, But uh, we're we're working with the administration to see you know where the um, where the wiggle room is uh, because a lot of these programs you know it's it's difficult to you know it's going to be difficult to to figure out like how to continue some of these programs past 2026. Um, 
And especially with the Economic Justice Action Plan that we just released, you know, the $150 million is a down payment because we are trying to leverage that uh, to get more money from our our corporate partners, our philanthropic partners, um, faith community, uh, to really make it a more robust investment in North St. Louis. So we start with the federal funding, but it sounds like you're hopeful that there's going to be more money coming in that can keep these programs going once you get those started. Yes, absolutely. So we asked... uh, Uh, All of you out there listening, we put a question on Twitter of what people wanted to have you talk about today Mm -hmm. as you were on this show. And, hey, we have some great news. 58% said they wanted to hear about the North City Plan. So people are – I think people are interested in this. You know, there's there's a lot of attention that people are giving this issue right now. People want to see this fixed. Mm -hmm. Uh, 24% said they wanted to hear about policing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about some policing, and that's also going to be the topic later on the show. We do need to take a quick break here, and we'll come back to continue this conversation and talk about policing. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. Welcome back. We are talking today to St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones. She has shared some thoughts on her plans for North St. Louis. That's something that's so important, so personal for her. Um, We have heard from you that a big issue that you want to hear us talk about today is the issue of policing. And we should note uh, later in this hour, we're going to talk to one of the authors of a new report uh, from the Center of Policing Equity. Um, And he's going to talk about the roadmap that lays out for some big changes for the St. Louis police. Uh, But Mayor Jones, I mentioned this Twitter poll. It was interesting. Somebody responded saying, can all the answers to this poll be policing? This is St. Louis, after all, shaking my head. In some ways, does it feel like the issues of crime and the issues of inequity and policing, they almost permeate every single challenge that's in your portfolio right now? Yes. I mean, um, we, we let's let's start with, you know, with the the idea of what policing is and what it has been in this country. We cannot continue um, to police in that manner and expect a different result. And the the goals of my administration when it comes to public safety, we're trying to transform it so we can deploy the right professional to the right call because our officers are exhausted from responding to everything. And so we have diversion programs currently in place through our cops and clinicians program, through our 911 diversion program and our partnership with behavioral health response Um to make sure that uh, that people are getting what they need, because when they call nine one one, they call for help, mm-hmm. um, and we want to make sure that we're deploying the right help when they do call. So we're taking the steps to uh, upgrade our antiquated nine one one system. It's been such an issue. It's been an issue, uh, and we are committed to to trying to fix it um, to consolidate our resources there, because we had three separate dispatch systems with police, fire, and EMS, um, and so I, you know I am committed to trying to fix our 911 system and make sure that people get the uh, response that they need from city services. And you'll be bringing on, um, if you get 
your way here, yes. um, more civilians to handle some of these calls that are traditionally handled by police. Now, with cops and clinicians, they're paired up with an officer. Right. The idea might be to forego the officer altogether, have a civilian take some low-level type stuff. Do you think there's going to be significant pushback from the police on this? Um, you know, I don't know, but I do know that uh, the changes that we're making are trying to make uh, our officer's job uh, uh, easier and lift some of the burden off of their shoulders so they can do what the, what the work that they were trained to do in our academies, which is respond to violent crime. Um, and then, you know, with the civilian officer force, um, we've seen it work in other cities. So these aren't things that we just, you know, dreamed up one night. Uh, these are things that work in other cities. And, and, and with the uh, information that we got from CPE from their first survey, almost 20 percent of calls can be answered by someone other than officers. And 20 percent of that work can be done with civilian officers. And we've also seen that in the cops and clinicians pilot, 49% of the calls in North St. Louis could be answered by someone other than police. And this is even in North St. Louis, yes. where outsiders might think this is all stuff that's incredibly dangerous. Not the case. No, no it's not the case, because when we when we think about uh, the, the, the status of North St. Louis right now and, and the people who live there, and I'm one of them, uh, we, we have... Um, we have issues that don't re- that don't necessarily need a police response. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to attack the poverty, the abject poverty that has been allowed to fester in North St. Louis, and the lack of resources that are available in North St. Louis. You know, lack of uh, of places to go uh, for fast food, for fresh fast food. I mean, think about it. We can go to uh, Bread Company or Panera within you know a two mile drive in but every direction, <laughs> in every direction. But that's not the case. So yeah. we have to. Uh, invest in North St. Louis in more ways than one uh, to make sure that uh, it's a place where everyone can thrive. So when we're talking about violent crime, um, you touted some statistics in your State of the City speech. You said under Dr. Dan Isom's leadership and through a data-driven, smart-on-crime approach, our city bucked a national trend of rising homicides between 2020 and 2021 and noted Mm -hmm. that homicides fell 25 percent last year. Now, ProPublica has challenged those numbers. They suggest the city has manipulated statistics by reclassifying murders as justifiable homicides, and they've reported that's contrary to FBI guidelines. According to ProPublica, in in 2020, the city counted at least 17 that way. In 2021, the number jumped to at least 22. Had just a handful of those justifiable homicides been classified as murders, St. Louis might have set its all-time murder record in 2020 and had its second highest annual total in 27 years in 2021. Doesn't that reporting suggest the city hasn't bucked the national trend? Well, I, I still believe that uh, violent crime is down overall, and I trust Dr. Isom's leadership um, and his integrity in the many years that he has served this city. So, you know, we're we're looking at more ways to be more transparent with our crime data, and I trust Dr. Dan Isom's leadership to get us there. So one of the other things that, man, when we set out this Twitter poll, everybody wanted to talk about what is going on in our streets. Dangerous drivers mowing down bicyclists, giant potholes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Let's go to Dwight, who's calling from Dutchtown. Uh, Dwight, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Thanks for taking my call. Um, exactly. Um, I drive uh, regularly from Gravelway uh, down Kings Highway uh, to the Central West End, probably three, four times a week. And I have to say, I have to dodge maybe 200 uh, steel plates that are in the in the lanes of traffic just to get there. And what's ha- what often happens is people literally veer into the middle of the of the street to avoid a plate. And there I am. I'm, I'm also have, 
in that situation. And it just seems like a kind of a minor miracle that one survives it. The other issue, and I think is probably even more material, is just that that wear and tear on automobiles. It's yeah. Just I mean, Dwight, I feel like this is the number one thing that your average St. Louisan is just constantly mm-hmm. fed up about. And I understand this is small potatoes when compared to the disinvestment we're talking about and what's happening in North City. But boy, it is on the minds of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Is there a plan to tackle the state of these streets? Yeah. Well, if you look at uh, Boar Bill 184, which was the capital um, bill, uh, there were monies uh, set aside to repave several of our main thoroughfares. So um, the board passed that a couple of weeks ago, and uh, stay tuned to see if if I sign it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You're going to hold that over our head here. The entire city (laughs) is waiting with bated breath. Does this feel like a bill you probably can sign, or are there some concerns at this point? Stay tuned. Oh, boy. (laughs) I think she's she's tormenting me here. (laughs) I'm going to return the favor. Let's talk about the Detention Oversight Board. Now, this is something that you wanted to get set up. There have been a lot of allegations, some lawsuits, conditions in the city justice center. This has been a problem. It certainly predates your administration, but it doesn't seem like things are are getting better there at this point. You had two nominees get blocked by the Board of Aldermen and then another one, the city's former health director. She basically resigned saying, if these two nominees aren't going to make this board, I don't want to be on this board. Uh, Mike Milton, who's, who's the CEO of the Freedom Community Center, he said this on our show last week or two weeks ago. This was just after his nomination was voted down by the board to be questions that that I would I would somehow you know take away from the process and make it more accountable is actually something that I was aiming to do anyway so I think that was good but on the other end I'm, I'm actually pretty sad at the at the situation that um, this is an enemy to progress that happens within our city we cannot keep moving forward because our city and our city leadership and what was really disheartening was it, it was mainly the black caucus mm-hmm. um, believes and um, holds the status quo right mm-hmm. when we think about that the CJC the 90 to 95 percent of the people in CJC are all black men you take the two black men off of the board, right? Yeah. Shows a commitment towards the status quo. And that is Mike Milton talking about the fact that he and the Reverend Daryl Gray, a civil rights activist, they were both blocked from being on this board. I'd love your response to that. Yeah. So first off, the de- detention oversight board is is independent oversight of our jails, and that and, and we have seen um, prior to me becoming mayor that that is desperately needed because the health and safety of our detainees and our correction officers is our top priority. Um, and I should I should note that all of these nominees passed unanimously out of the Public Safety Committee and only ran into roadblocks when they hit the full board. Even Chair- Chairman Vaccaro, who, have, who we have had disagreements in the past, he was very complimentary of our administration's work and the nominees uh, and, and the board. But I, I also believe that we all share the same goal, which is oversight of our jail. So I was disappointed uh, to see that these two nominees didn't make it through the process. Uh, but effective and fair oversight of our corrections facility should be the ultimate goal. And I hope, I really hope that other political issues and nominees' activism outside the board um, didn't impact their approval. So I'm going to read a a tweet from Alderman John Collins Muhammad, part of that Black Caucus that Mike Milton referred to. Quote, people will literally diss you, throw salt on your name, bash you, knock doors against you, endorse your opponent, and lie on your voting record, but will straight up expect y'all to be cool when they need you. Nah, cuz, nah. Does it feel like this stems back to, like, personal issues versus 
you know, the road forward for our city. Do you feel like the Board of Aldermen is, is a good partner in this effort to fix the problem in the jails? Well, you know, I'm going to say something that my dad used to tell me when I first got into politics about how when people talk about you and shame your name and, and talk bad about you, he said, take a, take a bath in rock salt. Because if you don't want people talking about you or working against you or saying bad things about you, then politics is not the industry for you to be in. Uh, Because I have had so many personal and professional attacks um, in my political career. And at some point, I I took my bath in rock salt. And I I have to deal with it. There are people that I work with who I know say crazy stuff about me behind my back. But the overarching goal is more important to me. And that's service to this city. So a lot of times I just forget about it and, you know, and I get back to my original goal. How can I wake up every day and do the best that I can and show up for the people who I represent? Do you feel like there's members of the Board of Aldermen who need to realize that at this point? Well, you know, I I can only speak for myself. I can only speak for myself. But if you're going to get mad every time somebody talks about you and, and then also try to do things to prevent them or prevent our city from succeeding in the in the interim, then maybe this isn't the place for you. Do you think this board can be effective without the Reverend Gray, without Mike Milton, and without Pamela Walker? Uh, those three are now not going to be on this board. What do we, what do you do now? <laughs> I, I think, you know, I lead with racial equity. And I think Mike Milton said it best. You know, the, the, the overarching number of people that are in our detention facilities are people of color. And so we need to make sure that the people that we appoint to this board reflect the people who they are going to be representing and protecting. So with these two black men nomination getting scuttled, are you going to be looking for different black men who can be on this board or try again with these two? Well, I'm committed to working with the board to see what we can do to move forward. Um, But we have to make sure that this board reflects racial equity. So a leading theory in the city is that the CJC is overcrowded at this point because of the desire to close the workhouse, that the city just has too many detainees to fit into one jail. And as long as that problem persists, that that's going to be an issue. Do you think we can go forward with the CJC enough to handle everything that's needed in the city? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I believe there was a column uh, that Tony Messenger wrote last week that said that the, actually the number of people in our detention facilities is the lowest it's ever been. Um, and there are only about 20 people in the CJC annex. And as soon as we complete the repairs on the CJC, uh, which are being delayed because of supply chain issues, just like everywhere else where you're building something right now, um, we'll be able to uh, close the workhouse for good uh, and and put everybody in one facility. Okay. So you remain committed to the CJC going forward. You think yes. it can be fixed? Yeah, it, it's in the process of being fixed. Uh, and it's, I, I would say the most um, frustrating part is, again, the supply chain issues, you know, and also, you know, we haven't done a good job of uh, continual maintenance of the CJC. So we're fixing, you know, decades old problems. So we've been talking about policing and the criminal justice system here. Something else I wanted to ask you about today, the city councilor's office has fought back hard on lawsuits filed over the night of kettling. This goes back to 2017 during the Cruson administration. More than 100 people rounded up in mass arrests. You marched in the Stockley protests. I don't know if yes. you were out there that night, but I, you were out yeah, there that I did. weekend. I yeah. Did. Mm-hmm. 
Do you ever feel like it could have been you that was was rounded up and arrested that night? Uh, yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, but I I tend to go home when the sun goes down <laughs> because yeah. primarily because my kid is coming home, so I would just want to be there with him. Um, you know, there's a you know we we inherited. A lot of things. Uh, and that's what happens when you take on, you know, take on running for mayor, you inherit the the unfinished business of the prior administration. And so uh, this is one of the unfortunate things that we un- inherited that we have to try to fix as best as we can. Is the mandate for the city councilor to defend the city aggressively, that the city has to pay attention to that bottom line? I mean, the, the, the mandate for the city councilor is to, I would say, you know, work uh do the best with with what she has inherited. Um, And this is one of those unfortunate lawsuits that she has inherited. So we're trying to find the best outcome that we can. So I got to squeeze in one last topic here today. This has to do with encampments uh, for homeless people. Both the city and MoDOT have given notice to clear these camps. There's four of them uh, that have to be gone by May 2nd. Mm -hmm. And providers say there are just not enough shelter beds available. That was also an issue at different points throughout this winter. Audra asks on Instagram, why is the city willing to evict yet another tent encampment with no new shelter options? Um, Actually, we have more shelter beds than previous pandemic. So I don't know where that information is coming from, that we don't have enough shelter beds. And, you know, our Department of Human Services under the leadership of uh, Dr. Yusuf Skagen has been uh, fantastic in trying to make sure that uh, we work with our unhoused neighbors to uh, to not only get them into shelter beds, but also we're trying to get them into permanent and supportive housing. So, the, you know, the shelter is just the first stop. We want to make sure that we uh, treat our unhoused neighbors with dignity and respect and make them whole again. Um, and so uh, that means, uh, you know, some changes to how we've been dealing with providers. We also want to take a lot of the burden off of provider shoulders as well. So getting our, our unhoused neighbors into permanent supportive housing is the ultimate goal. And do you feel like there are beds for the estimate is maybe 25 people or more coming out of these four camps that are getting shut down? Yes, there are enough beds. Mm-hmm. I got to ask one last question. I said that was the end, but you said that was the I end. I know I'm going to squeeze one in here. Okay. So Mary emailed us: Are we really going to start again collecting the recycling in all the city neighborhoods of the city in May? People were so excited about this announcement. <laughs> Mary wants to know what is the exact date. Do you uh, we know don't. That? We don't have the exact date yet, but we do know sometime in May. Okay, sometime in May, we can take this to the bank. You can take that to the bank. All right. Well, St. Louis Mayor Tashara Jones, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.